Savage CBD strives to help people by offering top quality, lab tested, natural CBD at affordable pricing. And it really is affordable. Whether you're new to CBD or have been using it for years, you can always count on all natural, hemp derived CBD with the purest ingredients. Savage CBD carefully tests each batch to ensure quality, consistency, taste, and authenticity. They pride themselves on their transparency and believe that you should know exactly what goes into your favorite CBD products. With Savage CBD, you can choose from a range of premium CBD lotions, creams, tinctures, gummies, and so much more. When you look at their website, there are thousands of happy customers who've reported incredible results after using CBD to supplement their daily routine. Overall, Savage CBD's goal is to create the products that empower you to maintain your balanced lifestyle. Whether you need some extra shut-eye at night or you need to find some more calm throughout your day, you can count on Savage CBD to help you reach that goal. And guys, just for listening to this podcast, you can save 20% on your first purchase of CBD when you use our code BRAD20. So go ahead, my friends, start your CBD journey with Savage, and they'll be there to support you with every step of the way. Simply visit SavageCBD.com to redeem 20% off your first purchase of CBD by using code BRAD20 and see why thousands of people are using CBD. Now, Kelly, I've been a CBD user for a little while. I use it when I'm out on the disc golf course. It helps me relax. It's great with muscle aches and pains, and it's really kind of replaced ibuprofen for me. So uh, anybody that's listening to this, guys, check out Savage CBD. We thank them for being a supporter of the Noel Family Foundation, the Bradley's House podcast, and we hope you'll support them as well. Hi, this is Eric Wilson, and you're listening to the Bradley House podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for dropping in. I'm Jared Orr, she is Kelly Noel, and this is Bradley's House Podcast. Kelly, how you doing? I'm doing really good. Thanks for asking, Jared. I'm so excited about the episode today. Oh my God, I'm always so excited, but today I'm like super (laughs) excited. Um, I really, I can't wait for this episode and uh, anytime we get to record and, and chat and have some great guests on. I, I always get excited. So I'm super pumped up for today. But uh, guys, before we get to our guest, just a reminder that Bradley's House podcast is brought to you by the Noel Family Foundation and named in honor of their current project, Bradley's House, a six bed recovery facility for musicians struggling with addiction, regardless of their financial situation. We all know, sadly, Bradley lost his battle at 28 years young, but the Knoll family is still fighting the war on opioid addiction within the music industry. Join Papa Jim, Kelly Jacob, and the rest of the amazing Knoll Family Foundation board in this fight. You're going to find a link listed in the description of this show that will have additional information on the foundation and how you can be a part of this amazing cause. Your support is more than appreciated. It's a necessity to help Brad's family get this facility up and running, and we appreciate all of the supporters so far. Now, Kelly, we have an awesome guest lined up today. Like I said, I always get excited because we get to hang out and do the podcast and chat with some pretty interesting people. But today's guest, 
I'm super excited for. Kelly, who's our house guest today? Well, today's guest was someone that has been on our list right from the very start, our wish list of guests, and I'm so stoked that it's finally happened. Uh, Today we have with us, and you'll have to bear with me because I have a little alliteration here. It just made me so happy. I was making my notes, and I'm like, ooh, those all start with a P, and I'm easily amused. We have podcaster, professor, and producer, most notably of the Vans Warped Tour, Kevin Lyman with us today. Kevin, thank you so much for being on the show. Hello, Kelly. How are you tonight? I'm good. I'm a ridiculous fan of alliteration, as you can see, but um, there are so many things that you do, and I could have gone on forever describing it. It, It's amazing. I mean, I was doing a little research to know a bit more about what you've done besides the Warp Tour, obviously, and it's just, it's really incredible. You've had an amazing career, you've touched so many lives, and you continue to do such great things. What motivates you? You know, I'm not really sure sometimes. That's asked to me often, like, what motivates you? And I, I just think that I have been very fortunate in life and I really was not trained in doing anything. Everything I've ever done has been learned on the spot. And every day I take it as, you know, as an adventure. And I tell people all the time that the only thing I'm going to run out of is time. Time is the only thing you run out of if you're excited about life each day. And, you know, I'm now just turned 60, which is kind of crazy because you're not allowed to turn 60 in the music industry. And, (laughs) uh, you know, you always, and, and, you know, I'm just, I'm excited right now about this new chapter I have, but I always try to learn from the past, um, you know, embrace the present, but look to the future too. And that's where I'm at right now in life. Absolutely. You know, you've got a great reputation in the industry, which is not always easy to do when, when you've been doing it as long as you have. And I think that, it obviously has something to do with your character, clearly. And also just the fact that I think what you were saying, you know, you've always sort of um, put first the the priority, you know, of, of um, creating a great event, but having fun. And it sounds like you figured out a real good balance between the two. Did that always come naturally for you? Well, it is now because I actually came up with this thing a while back. And I said, we need to come up with three words that describe yourself. And this came up about 20 years ago, 25 years ago. I sat there and what describes me? And I said, it was music, philanthropy, and education. Mm. And I said, if I can thread everything I do, at least using parts of that and everything I do, then that's a great pathway through life. So actually tomorrow I start teaching a class. And one of the first things I will do is ask my students, what three words define you? Those words can change, but you have three words that define you now. And they'll have to introduce themselves to the class not by their names, but by the three words that define them. Ooh, I like that. Now, since you brought it up, you are an associate professor at USC's Thornton School of Music, correct? Yeah, and you know, that's, that's the craziest thing. I think the funniest thing that ever happened in my life was we were just leaving an amphitheater from doing a show in, in Florida, and a lot of people were sitting on the bus, and everyone's hanging out after a long day. My phone rings, and I just hit speaker because it was hooked up to the Bluetooth in the bus, and the first time someone said, is this Professor Lyman? I've never, I've never heard my friends laugh harder in their life. And um, I think for the first year or so, you know, I had a hard time with it, but I think I've kind of grown into that now. Um, mm. But it was, um, I was not planning on this as a pathway in life. Uh, they approached me, they recruited me to come. And I felt at this point, because, you know, doing what I did was very physical. It was very, a lot of people ask, why are you winding that? I go, you don't realize what I put into that. That I needed, it took so much energy that I was, you know, it took me two months to recover, kind of, even though I was still doing things, I was tired, 
thinking that now I get to work with, you know, 100, 125 kids a year that I say, you know, you can do good and do good business. Absolutely. Um, you know, especially in punk rock, growing up in punk rock, I, I don't think, you know, our community wouldn't allow you to take advantage of it. So I learned how to do good, do, do good business, but not take advantage of a scene of music. I really don't think I ever did. Right. And being allowed, there's nothing wrong with thriving within that music as long as you give as much back as you take out. Mm, that's key for sure. Does it, um, does it feel like you're a part of the establishment, which seems like a very anti-punk ethos? Um, I've ha- I had some, th- I've tested the limits, let's say. <laughs> um, I think one of, the big, one of the big things I tested right away was um, I had a group of students that we were going to tackle something and that was mental health. And to Linda Bennington, Chester Bennington's wife from Lincoln Park, yeah. who we lost at a young age also, uh, approached me about doing a mental health festival. A men- she wanted a tour because everyone comes to me when they want a tour. Of course they and do. I was, They're no I was like, to, I'm like, to Linda, I need to break. I've been on the road for, you know, 28 years um, between yeah. Lollapalooza and Warp Tour. Oh, and I want to teach and do this. But I have a group of students who mental health is a very important mm. thing for young people. Maybe we could bridge this as a learning and what I do used to do in my past life and still do. And we created the 320 festival, which was in honor of, of uh, Chester Bennington. That was his birthday. Right. And it was supposed to be a live event. Of course, I go to my friends now that own, you know, LA live and places where I've done shows mm-hmm. and they go, of course, Kevin, you don't want to pay rent. I go, no, I'm doing good. <laughs> you got to give it to us for free. And of course they stepped up, you know, AG nice. and, and Lee Zeidman over there. And we had this big event planned and this was in 2020, you know, and we mm. know what happened that year. And uh, we had, you know, Chris Martin from Coldplay going to play, Lindsey Sterling playing, all oh these people going to play at this event, promote mental health. We had six, 90 speakers coming and it, the rug got pulled out just like the world. The rug got pulled oh, out. My gosh. Our kickoff event was May 8th. Uh, we had grandson, a great young artist that reminds me a lot of the bands that I toured with early in my Warp Tour days come mm-hmm. out. And we had uh, Ken Jeong from a, from a yeah. mass singer as a co-host, all this craziness. <laughs> oh, and, funny. and that was March 8th. And by, you know, March oh, 9th, they were shutting down the campus. But And I guess, you know, oh. we could have thrown the towel in, but I had to show these kids like we did touring and what we did early in our lives. We persevere, we figure it out and we pivoted to an online event where we able to attract 124,000 people in seven countries to learn about mental health and having mental health. What an education for those kids too, just to, to see how you, you know, can shift on the fly and cause that's life. I mean, that happens all the time. Yeah. You know, and I think a lot of this inspiration and, you know, I'm, I'm talking to you, Kelly, and I don't think we ever really got to sit was, was, was by witnessing and being around Brad as much as I was early in his career. Mm. And I wish I could have helped more. I don't know if I could have changed the outcome, but I didn't have the tools back then that I have now. So right. with when I got that call from Mitch Alden and we lost Brad, it was one of my things like I'm going to learn as much as I can about these issues to maybe help someone else avoid them. And, you know, I used to sit in a parking lot with Brad and our his son and my daughter are just very close in age. Right. Very. I, I can flash back to us discussing what it was going to be like to raising children oh, in the wow. rock and roll world. So wow. one of Brad's legacies, I would say, was inspiring me to learn more so we could help others. 
Oh God, that's that's incredible. <laughs> that's really beautiful. And I think, um, and every time I do something, I think about him, and I think about you know what that period was, and I always say, Brad, he would have been that band that would have played Warp Tour every other year. I would have never gotten rid of him, no matter how mm-hmm. big he was. He fit well in that parking lot. Mm. He loved the parking lots. <laughs> yeah. I was, you know, and I, I did the 25th anniversary show on the beaches in, in New Jersey and San Francisco. I did flash on my mind that I, I wish he was there to be part of that. Oh, man. Well, in all fairness, Warp Tour got pretty big, too. So as big as Sublime got, I mean, you certainly grew that festival that it would have it would have been growing with the bands and some of the bands that you've had in there in later years. I mean, it was yeah. a huge it was a big deal. But there was nothing to hold, you know, that band's, their talent was, you know, boundless. You know, I just know that they would have been one of the biggest bands of this generation and maybe a couple other ones. You know, they were, the songwriting was so great. But, you know, it's, it has inspired me to be involved when we did, you know, uh, Fen, the full energy, no drugs. We created the app around the, to educate people in opioid education. And uh, being on your show, I remember... Brad had a really good friend who's involved with your foundation, who was one of the biggest pains in my asses. <laughs> I'm guessing you're talking about Todd Zalkins. <laughs> yeah, he was such a pain in my ass. Like, I mean, I don't know. And I, and, and I can only say that. And I say this sometimes. It's like me and Lou Dog had a bad relationship. <laughs> you're not the only one. We've heard that yeah. quite yeah. a bit. You know, but I had a golden retriever, too. And, uh, but, but, he came up to the house and told me about what you guys were doing with the Noel Family mm. Foundation a while back. Um, oh. I, you know, it's so I was so happy to hear because I didn't know if he was going to make it through. Yeah, oh, that's a miracle he, that he did. He did. It is Neither did he. Yeah. <laughs> he and, uh, and now he's, you know, trying to to do better in the world. So unfortunately, we lose people for some of us maybe to do better in the world. Yeah, that's very true. That's a very good point. I was digging through some old stuff the other day and I came across the Warped Tour program, I guess you'd call it, or flyer, whatever, from the year that Sublime played. Now, that was the first year, wasn't it? Yeah, that was 1995. And, you know, I, yeah. I was trying it's to like, put, this, put this together in short notice. And I had to go, uh-huh. to, I had to, go to the people that kind of were my friends and trusted me. And, uh, and uh, the bands that are you see on that flyer were the ones that I'd worked with in the clubs. I, I was with Golden Voice for 12 years before Warped Tour started. Oh. And, uh, you know, how I became friends with Sublime and No Doubt and Oswald. We used to do college ski tours together. Oh, my gosh. We used to drive all over the West and play these college shows. And it was Offspring, No Doubt, Sublime. It was like a kid. Can you imagine that package today? <laughs> oh, my, <laughs> my gosh. I, I will tell you, though, I feel I feel less bad now after hearing, you know, some of the stories from Warp Tour. You knew what you were getting yourself into. <laughs> <laughs> You'd already yeah. been in that van hanging out, so you know. It is notorious. A lot of people say I kicked them off the tour. Um, I never kicked them off the tour. I sent them home because I my life was on the line at that point. I, right. I risked everything in my life to get that tour off the road financially and the security of my family. And that band was taking sixty to eighty percent of my time every day to deal with. Oh my god. <laughs> I had, so you know, sorry. and I just never forget the day I, I sent them home was the, they, I told them no dogs and no friends. That was my yeah. rule with them. Uh-oh. And uh, they brought the dog and friends out to yeah. Asbury Park. And uh, that night there was a bar and it was like a gay cowboy bar behind the stone pony. And 
before I knew it, the dog had bit two people in the bar. Oh my gosh. We, the next morning we went to Buffalo and he bit someone. I saw Brad walking. I go, Brad, this is crazy. I can't have this dog biting people. And he looks at me and goes, he hates skateboarders. (laughs) I'm like, we're on, we're on an effing skateboard tour. (laughs) Naturally. And then I was like, all right, if I see your friends and your dog tomorrow, that's it. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I have to do something. Mm. And we went to Nassau Coliseum and we were playing the little corner of the grass parking lot. We played there later in the year <laughs> where we couldn't even park five buses on that spot. Oh, and I walked downstairs in the morning and we had a little bit of catering. There wasn't much around. And there's their friends eating one box of cereal. And there's Lou Dog eating out of a salad bowl, <laughs> the other box. With the, like, and they split the one half gallon of milk. Oh, and uh, and I, I, uh, I said, mm. I don't know what I'm going to You got to get out of it. You got to go home. But I didn't kick them off. I, I told them they could meet me back in Seattle. But they went hiatus. Away. You know, I said they can come back to Bumbershoot. And we were in New York. And literally, I kicked them off, I think, one show. That's how, like, how far we used to have to drive. We had, like, one show between New York and, and uh, Seattle, like Milwaukee or something. And uh, they did come back and finish the tour. They did come I back. Think, yeah. I think saying that they got kicked off the Warp Tour is a lot more punk rock, though. Oh, okay. <laughs> it gives okay. them more cred. Oh, yeah. People come up to me all the time and go, dude, I got kicked <laughs> off the war tour. I'm like, what? <laughs> I, if I remember correctly, your bus broke down for three days. <laughs> you couldn't catch up with the war tour. But, you know, we all built, you know, there was punk rock credibility. Right. Punk rock, a lot of the punk rock stories, it, is, they are your own stories. And they may not match up with the reality or the, someone else's story. But that's what makes punk rock in a way. And that's what makes, you know, history. Absolutely. Now, I'm sure you've told the story a million times, but for people who don't know, can you just give us a brief history of how the Warped Tour came about? Well, it was, it was, I've been working in the clubs of Los Angeles for, for 12, 13 years already, you know, running 320 shows a year for Golden Voice. Um, wow. And Golden Voice, uh, you know, was, was doing these shows, but I was also kind of bridging that world of action sports. And right. when we, we would go out and do these events for charity, uh, board aid, boarding for breast cancer and some of these mm-hmm. events, we would have bands play and I would help maybe book the, book the bands and we'd build a skate ramp and we would do a board across and we were blending action sports and music. Golden Voice was trying to do, and the Subline was on these shows, the board in OC show and the board right. in the South Bay show. And I was just looking at it going, well, we had heard about the X Games. And I go, we're going to, I need to go do this before I'm working for someone else doing it. Mm-hmm. So that was literally 95. I was going to do it one year. Uh, so <laughs> I, and really in a hurry was going to go. I, I decided this in late March and we were on the road by August. So wow. I had to go to bands, uh, maybe, maybe some bands that no one else would work with, um, you know, <laughs> and gave yeah. an opportunity. Um, other bands, no doubt, was on parts of that tour. I had friends nice. on the East Coast. And we went out because it was about trying to team up and, and build a community. Right. Um, pull the community together because I, I worked every night. So I saw that the same kids were coming to see, you know, the grunge scene, bands like L7. There was Seaweed, mm-hmm. the more indie rock scene. Someone was the leaders of that surf punk kind of, you know, reggae rock kind of scene. Right. And I was like, the kids are all the same. You know, if you put them all in one place, maybe we could start playing bigger places together. And I pulled, you know, really, I, I was allowed to fail by making other people look good for so many years by working my mm. ass off and working. I worked as a first stage manager, Lollapalooza. I was allowed to fail like so many 
first time festivals do or tours right. do. Um, we went out there. It was an absolute failure. <laughs> <laughs> but people saw that it was different and that right. I wasn't trying to duplicate Lollapalooza or anything else. And they said, you know what? Kevin's put in his time. We see how hard he works, that he's out here working hard, that he's not, you know, he's, he's in the middle of it. Let's give him a second chance. Mm. And I think what happened was those guys got home, you know, and every, the word spread that it was just a bunch of pirates going down the road and there was like no <laughs> rules. We were breaking every rule there could be possibly on the road, you know. I think Eric mm. got thrown in jail. Not Eric. Oh, Bud got thrown in Bud. jail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, two times in one week, like four, 24 hour period in mm. Florida. But we were always rolling along that they attracted other bands. Like, you know, of course, you know, Pennywise had their own reputation and no sure. effects. And we, we, they all gave me a second chance. Was there ever in those early days a thought that this was going to become such an iconic thing that it would become the longest running North American festival concert tour? I mean, that's crazy. No. I mean, literally, really, each year was just by the skin of the teeth trying to figure it out. Mm. Um, you know, then it, then it almost collapsed under its own success when it started getting so big and there were so many bands wanting to be in par. And then I got really weird because... People were telling me, if I don't get on your tour this summer, Kevin, if I don't, they won't put out my record. So <gasps> wow. that like, an, like a different type of pressure. You had the kids yeah. wanting to see, you had the show, but then you had these people's lives. And I didn't, you know, I didn't want Warp Tour to like dictate anyone's potential for success in their career. Right. That's heavy. You know, when I ended it after 25 years, people would, you know, in our, typically in our industry, everything, everything one thinks it's about money. Money, money, mm. money, money. I'm like, no, there was 24 other reasons right. that I ended it. It was, it, it was, it took a, a big toll on me. Um, my family who stuck mm. with me, you know, my wife who probably should have thrown me on the street a few times. <laughs> right to my kids, you know, who did get a chance to go and work on that tour with me, but yeah. it was just, there was, I'd done everything I possibly could with that project. It was time to move on. Yeah, I, I would imagine there's so much work that goes into just doing one music festival. I can't even imagine doing a whole tour of them across the country. Yeah, that it just sounds crazy. It was a lot. It was, but it was great. You know, hey, I was able to do what I love. I love music. I still love music to this day. Uh, but, you know, now I'm kind of can do it in a different way. I get to, you know, channel my energies through these students and I'm watching them now. This is my going into my fourth year of teaching and I'm watching some of these people moving up within their companies and businesses with a little more conscientious thought that we're all humans and we're not just a commodity. Mm, that's important. What do you teach there, by the way? Um, I'm teaching five classes. Oh um, my goodness. I'm teaching a, a graduate branding class, an undergraduate branding class, uh, I'm teaching a class that's basically like a philanthropic thought and entertainment class. Um, mm. I've got a basic touring class. And then I've got this festival design and management class, which has really been interesting to teach over the last year and a half. So, oh, gosh. Uh, so I've got five classes I'm teaching starting tomorrow. That's a lot. <laughs> it is. It is. Did you say festival design and management? I feel like they made that class for you to teach. Right. I, 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 can't, I, imagine, I can't imagine if you weren't a professor who would be explaining that. It's now become a, like a regular class. It is a pretty popular class. Uh, I get a lot of my students to get out and work shows. And um, I'm, I'm doing an event right now that's a recovery out loud, an event up in Las Vegas coming up at the end of September. 
Mm. And Macklemore's playing and a few other people. It's a recovery event. And I'll That's have some awesome. of my students come up and get to work on that event with me. So it's a lot of fun. When is that event? Uh, it's September 27th. It'll be in Las Vegas at the Westgate Theater. Awesome. We'll make sure to promote that. That sounds really cool. Yeah, it's a, like 350 leading oh, organizations and groups in the recovery space will be there for a conference. And then we're doing a show that will be airing on iHeartRadio and YouTube on, I think, the 29th. Fantastic. Now, it, does it seem like everything's all, you know, all ahead full with, with COVID now? Or, I mean, is, oh. it, it, seem, it just seems like there's such this weird, like, limbo period. Like, some people are back to touring and other people are not. And I just saw the Pixies canceled their tour. I just, how do you plan for stuff in this environment? Well, that, we, we talked about that and, and me and my wife were just talking about it before I jumped on with you guys. Uh, you know, isn't it strange that we've, we always knew we had a split in this country and, and, and we've, we've been finding ways to try to heal it. We try to bring people together and music brings people together in many ways, but we've now drawn the serious lines over a vaccine. Mm, crazy, and isn't it? It's crazy. I, yeah. I was thinking of all the things that could have split this country and we've chosen, <laughs> we've chosen science and a vaccine mm. and it's kind of scary. I don't know if you could create something like warp tour now because there'd right. be too many outside influences um, with unknowledgeable influences having impact on it without you allowing it to get off the ground. Mm. Um, yeah. it, it seems to me that the whole vaccine thing, and this is clearly just my opinion, but it, it's almost like when you're in a, a bad relationship and you're just looking for things to nitpick about, you know, like the, the lid off the toothpaste or something like anything that will, will allow you to vent the frustration that you're feeling that's really over other things. And I feel like the polarization that's happened in, in this country over the last few years has just kind of been building. And this vaccine is just one way to sort of, it's uh, to me, it's just, it's the lid on the toothpaste tube. <laughs> like, you know, it's just something that, that people can can argue about um, and somehow try to, you know, vent their frustration. We're definitely all on edge. Yeah. Uh, even people who feel that, you know, I'm stable, I do all these things to stay. We're all on edge. The whole country's on edge. Uh, just the littlest things can set people off. Mm. And I think, you know, people prey on us for that. People prey on us. And, you know, I social media you know, I, we were talking about, you know, Facebook should just go away. <laughs> like, mm. If Mark Zuckerberg really cared about this country, he would shut it down for a year or six right. months. Just shut <laughs> it down. Like pay his employees um, for six months, shut it down, figure out how you're going to bring it back, how you had hoped that it would bring people together and be a communicative tool, not a combative tool. We've turned social yeah. media into such a combative tool now. Um, right. And and that's how we vent. I think it's almost like that teapot, like you said, steam blows off. Yeah. I, I guess I've been accused of that in some, with my Twitter account sometimes. You know, it's like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'll just send this treat, tweet out into space. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, and we, we have a lot of work to do. But but that's how we did it with the bands, though, for so many years on tour. They they A lot of bands that came from different backgrounds and, and different worlds, you put them out in that Warped Tour parking lot, it broke down all the barriers amongst everyone. Right. And I think that's a big part of what it did. And, and I think combining the, the music with the, you know, the extreme sports and all that kind of stuff was just such a natural combination um, that it just worked. Like it just seemed so obvious. 
And the fact that nobody else had done it before, it was almost like, wow, you know, where have you been all this time? <laughs> it just really filled a need. Well, for me, it was, um, I, I'd been working on other tours and, and, and worked with Lollapalooza. And I just thought for one time, all these observations that I took from working those nights in the clubs, um, interacting with all these bands, how can we do something by maybe pulling all these thoughts together? Mm. And luckily enough, people thought it was unique enough to give me the second chance. And then it kept getting more and more chances. And then all of a sudden you look and 25 years was gone. You know, I feel like your, your approach to teaching now is very much the same as your approach when you started the Warped Tour. You're, you're reading your audience, you know, you're, kind of, you're knowing uh, what's going on out there. You're keeping an eye on how people are responding and what they want and, um, you know, what's going what's gonna to be effective. Well, and, I, I, yeah, I go in tomorrow, and this is how I'll tell you how to start my classes. I tell all my students, you obviously know how to learn if you're sitting here. Learning, you learn how to take tests, you learn how to do extracurricular, you do everything. But I don't think many of you know how to think. Mm, big difference. I think we've sucked thinking out of society in so many ways because all we're done is taught to test and taught to always someone else's standards. So I says, if you are going to go ahead, and then there's this thing called a rubric they use in schools. Right. When I started, someone asked me, do you have a rubric? I had to come home and ask my daughter. <laughs> What's a rubric? <laughs> I, What's a rubric? And I tell my students, my goal in life is to break the rubric. Because awesome. if you are going to achieve in life, you have to figure out how to break the norms. Hmm. And we need to Thank teach you. you how to break the rubric. And kids have a really hard time with it. Because <laughs> they're taught for so long to, to stay within the bounds of the rubric. Yeah, I said, I don't want to read what I might want to hear. I read what mm. you want to think about and write and do as your projects. So we have a lot of fun. Um, I'm a really horrible grader. Um, <laughs> I, I always tell kids it's, it's going to be a really, my, I'm the easiest grader. There's two things you don't want to do in life. You, one, you, you, you want to get your work in on time. I said, that's the biggest thing in the music industry, getting on time. Right. If you have a project, get it in on time. And two, don't tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what you want me to think or what mm. you are thinking. And uh, we have a really good time in class. I make them do TED Talks. You know, it's, it's just a different thing. But ultimately, most of them walk out and say, wow, oh, that was a worthwhile class. It was taught totally different than anyone ever taught me in class. But uh, I got a lot out of it. That's huge. I think if more classes were like that in college, <laughs> that it would be a much more beneficial experience for a lot of people. And now with so many people who have decided not to go back to touring or going back to work in the business, I'm able to get a lot of kids jobs, which ultimately I think that's why parents send their kids to school. They want them to get a job. <laughs> right. Sure. Were there ever any bands that you really wanted to have on Warped Tour that you weren't able to get? Well, I was thinking recently there was, well, I tried for Panic at the Disco a lot. Oh, I uh, Joe Strummer and the Mescaleros were supposed to be on Warp Tour. Mm. Uh, they were confirmed, but uh, Joe passed away literally like a week before, week after I confirmed them. Oh, I never wow. got to tour with them. I would always try to get the Ramones to play. The yeah. early I would, I'd give them their own stage. I'd say, I'll give you your own stage. You could have the all Ramones, all the time stage, because every one of them played in like different bands. Right. I said, you could play in your different bands all day long, 
but you have to give me 30 minutes of a Ramon set. Of Ramon's, yeah. Ramon set. And then, you know, sadly, as we lost them, yeah. that wasn't going to happen. Um, I think, you know, I tried to get, you know, Panic at the Disco didn't play Warp Tour. 22 pilot, or 21 Pilots didn't play Warp Tour. Mm. Avril Lavigne, I tried to get Warp Tour. But now all of a sudden she's a pop punk girl again. I hear her playing and I go, oh, you're perfect for Warp Tour now. But, <laughs> Is she back? Yeah, she's back. But now she's Good playing with all these younger artists like Machine Gun Kelly, who, who was uh -huh. a hip hop artist on Warp Tour. And Travis Barker's leading that whole new scene. Right. Uh, you know, so there's a whole movement. But I, I really had we had a lot of people play warp tour and uh you know i just wish to be honest i'm on your podcast i wish sublime could have played more i wish they would have yeah. been out with me for a few more summers you and me both yeah. definitely so you also do some tv and film producing oh yeah don't stay out of that if you're in the okay <laughs> no, I, I i did a really fun <laughs> movie though we did a really fun movie called endless bummer <laughs> and um, it was, it was like based that. on Endless Summer. And summer, it was based, sure. Based on a stolen surfboard from Ventura, kind of a true story. Oh, my goodness. My buddy, JD. And we did this whole movie, and I had Joan Jett in it. I had oh Lee from Fear in it. I had Keith Morris <laughs> from The Circle Jerks in it. Oh, my I got goodness. Katy Perry, a song from Katy Perry for $500, oh. a cover from her. What? We, yeah, we had all these people doing songs from the early 80s. So it was kind of these doing this. It's a great soundtrack. If you can ever find it, it's, it's called Endless Bummer. It's a people, sometimes it'll pop up on like um, on XM radio on faction. All of a sudden I turn it on. They're playing songs from that. Oh my uh, goodness. Please that, tell me the movie still exists. Well, the, it was one of those things you don't, you learn only like music industry is tough film. And we sold the movie to um, national lampoon uh -huh. and they took the movie and they put some stupid edits in it. And literally the day we were supposed to, re the guy that started National Lampoon went to jail. Oh, oops. So the movie's been like in purgatory for like <gasps> 10, 15 years now. And I don't know if it'll ever see the light of day, but it's, it's bouncing around once in a while. You'll see it pop up or someone will have a copy of it, but it was super fun. Uh, you know, oh. we got people, but to have all these kind of friends of mine in it and yeah. the writing, we filmed it in Ventura on this, you know, downtown. You know, anyone who spends any time in Ventura, they realize that. You know, it was a lot like a Long Beach or Hermosa Beach. It had its right. own little community uh -huh. uh, of people. Um, so I've got a few things. We've had a couple of TV shows. Um, you know, it's fun. I, I don't like to say no to anything. Um, mm. My tolerance for risk at this point in my life is becoming a little less because, mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you, you know, our industry has no safety net behind it. Right. So I was lucky to be able to do certain things and save some money, but I'm teaching and working and, and I feel that, you know, a lot of people thought we pulled, you know, semi trucks full of money out of the back end of Warp Tour, but at that ticket <laughs> price, we never really did. And right. I still find myself working to this day. Yeah. But, you know, I have to say, uh, I'm sure your students are super appreciative that you do. Yeah, it's I'm enjoying it. I, I, I got to say, I'm a little like, oh, I got to go lay out my clothes. Mm. First time in 18 months, <laughs> I'm going to school. Remember when mom used to lay your clothes out the first night to school. Big my day. Like, my, my wife's like, let's go see if you have anything that's not stained or wet or anything. <laughs> She's like, you you gotta <laughs> pack your peanut butter and jelly sandwich and your Absolutely. apple. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you think you'll ever do anything like Warp Tour again? I don't think so. I might do, maybe there's a crew. We did the Warp Tour cruise where we did it out on a cruise ship, and that was a lot mm -hmm. of fun. Maybe there'll be a one-off, maybe a one-off some, somewhere. 
but I'm really enjoying producing these events for other people um, that are trying to do good and trying right. to get the messages out. I can use my knowledge that way. I had an event that I was going to be doing at Angel Stadium originally that was going to be a tribute to the scientists that created the vaccine. It's now been delayed for multiple reasons. But oh, people wow. are calling me, and if I can come in and use that knowledge I have, um, I love producing. I still love doing shows. I love walking around a parking lot or a field and, you know, till your bones hurt and you're, you just can't move anymore. Mm. I still want to do that, but I just don't think I could do a, a, a tour the a way tour. I would normally do it. Yeah. It, it, like I said, it just, it sounds like such an extraordinary amount of work and energy. And um, I don't know how you did it for as long as you did. I think 25 years is very impressive. Yeah. You know, there's a point where it's getting harder and harder to get out of that, off that tour bus each day, but yeah. <laughs> Where did you grow up? What area are you from? I grew up in Southern California. I grew up okay. um, out in Claremont, California. So yeah. it was kind of a weird town. It was like this educational town with the Claremont Colleges. Right. It was also a hippie town. So I learned a lot about the Grateful Dead and mm-hmm. hanging out with those people and used to sell egg rolls in the Grateful Dead parking lot and some of the people <laughs> I knew out there. But then I also started gravitating to the punk scene. And I always like to say, I always say that it, you know, you know, punkers wore safety pins and, uh, you know, hippies wore patchouli. There wasn't a lot of difference between them. Mm. They both had things they wanted to change in the world that they weren't happy with. Yeah, very true. And I think I was able to blend that kind of. Um, I don't want to say I turned all the punkers into hippies, but, you know, <laughs> by, t- by making the show in the daytime, made it a lot safer, yeah. bringing in all the nonprofits and all the things we used to do on warp tour i learned a lot from being around that claremont scene right i'm sure and what did you get your degree in well my degree was in recreation administration it, it pretty much allowed me to be the lifeguard at the pool in college <laughs> which you know well, that's hey, important <laughs> yeah i mean somebody's got to do it yeah i mean i it was it fit me perfectly and that probably really did prepare you in some ways for it was yeah, I mean, technically, I was going to be running summer camps or youth programs. <laughs> it's about the same. I think that's pretty much what Warp Tour was. <laughs> well, it's got to be uh, kind of mind blowing when you sit back and think how many people look back on their, you know, youth and and the Warp Tour was such a big part of that, you know, and so to have created something like that or been a part of uh, building something like that has got to be really gratifying. Well, it's always fun now that I've kind of bridged this world between kind of that corporate branding world. I, you know, involved in St. Archer Brewery. I've had a hair dye company with Haley Williams from Paramore or, <laughs> you know, I work with cities on events and you'll be sitting in a meeting and it almost notoriously someone will be like, and he'd be like, in a, you know, slacks like chinos and a, and a button down shirt. Some, and he'll go, hey, and he'll roll up his sleeve and it'll be like a band tattoo of Pennywise. <laughs> No facts. You know, no. Oh man, warp tour. Believe it or not, you kicked me out one time. And now it's like <laughs> running cities and places. So, you know, I get a lot of that. And that yeah. to me is the funniest because uh, to realize that, you know, they still, you know, they, they went to that event. Yeah. And, and it's funny, it goes away for a couple of years. And all the people that were, you're always going to have people that hate you. You learn that not everyone's going to like you when you do mm. anything in life. You'll right. have this podcast and I'm sure someone's going to complain. It, everyone's always got a problem with something. And, mm-hmm. I, and I realized that you take something away for two years and oh, now everyone's like, where is it? Bring it back. <laughs> it. It. But, and I don't hear from the haters because they're all hating on something else now. Right. 
heard of them. So they've uh, moved on. They've moved on. <laughs> That's how I feel about this. Uh, we did this album. Uh, Law Records put together this wonderful compilation of 55 different artists doing Sublime covers, all to benefit the foundation. And um, I, I've just been completely blown away by it. So just incredibly humbled that all these artists want to be a part of it. And every once in a while, I'll see some conversations on social media and people will be like, how come so-and-so wasn't on there? I think they should have had more of this. And why wasn't there more of this? And I'm oh, like, yeah, yeah. oh my gosh, seriously? That's what you take away from it? Like, oh. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah. I reconnected with I, Mark Lay. I, I, I hung out with him in Hawaii last year. Oh, wow. In December. I, you know, I guess I got reconnected with Mark Lay from Law Records. And, and next thing I know, he's like, you know, I'm at the Four Seasons playing golf with him. Right? You know, it's like, wow. You know, he's, you know, but funny how reconnecting now that these people have gone on to doing you know, more traditional jobs, but a lot of them say they picked up something out on that tour that stuck with them. Mm. The sense of community, the sense of supporting people that it's that ultimately, yeah, I have to make a bottom line, but that's not what I'm driven for every day of my life. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people probably pick that up off of the warp tour. And that's such a great, great thing, you know, because especially in the entertainment industry, there tends to be so much focus on the bottom line and the dollar and all that. But, but you have such an opportunity to influence people. It's such a shame that more people don't take advantage of that, you know, to have a positive influence. And I think we're at a turning point on our industry right now. I think there's a lot of people questioning how they want to see the music industry moving Mm. forward. And there's a lot of upheaval there's a lot of it, but there's a lot of change and there's a lot of good people who want to get in this business. Because I always say, isn't it nice if you could just make a living in, in, in doing what you love? And, and a yeah. living not, isn't necessarily front row Laker tickets or the Hollywood Hills. Right. It's like having a, maybe having a house, maybe being able to barbecue on the weekends and a vacation mm-hmm. and raise a family and yeah. be around the music you love all the time. Not a it's bad huge. way to live your life. Exactly. You probably know one of our board members from your time with Golden Voice, Ken Denson. Oh, yes, Ken. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I've known Ken a long time. Yeah. I find yeah. that the, the industry is a very small world when you come right down to it. Oh, he, oh yeah. yeah. It's it's very strange. You know, maybe we have our pockets that worked in the kind of music we did. And there's like the hip hop has their community in the sure. rock world. But it's only you're really only one person separated from it. Exactly. And especially in L.A. I mean, there's so much overlap between genres and that kind of thing. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's still to this day, you, you, you know, it's, it's, it's a small world. Yeah. Now you've got two daughters, right? I have two daughters. Uh, one of them kind of followed into the music industry. Uh, she, she probably during, right when the pandemic started, she worked probably, there was nothing worse than rock and roll, but you Mm. throw cruise ship behind it. Oh gosh. <laughs> she was doing the thematic cruises and, and now oh, she, no. and she was able to, I was having some health issues and she came to visit and we kept her here. And now she's working in the streaming world. She works for Veep. She does live streams and, and events. She's been very busy. And then you take the other side as in every family. Um, my daughter is a scientist. She's a uh, studies geology mm. and earth sciences and she wants to change the world that way. Fabulous. That's really cool. Did they, did they ever um, resent the time that Warp Tour took you away well, from them? When they would, by the time they were 14, I don't think they did during the summer. They had a great time with my wife. My wife didn't mm. come on the road. Um, but then they both started touring with me when they were 14. And they worked. They had real jobs out there. Um, 
child labor laws. Uh, <laughs> the statute of limitations, yeah. I think, on that. But they got up every morning and worked jobs out there. And that's to great. be honest, that's what probably kept the Warp Tour going at a certain point because mm. I wasn't touring with my peers anymore. My peers, oh. all the older bands and skaters and everyone, they were doing other things or the Warp Tour got too hard for them, Fat mm. Mike. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it was like, you know, hot, long, too many shows in a row. And I understood people are in yeah. different spaces in different places. Sure. But I was not touring with my peers. I was like a mentor or a disciplinarian. That was pretty much what I was. Right. Um, I, I was lonely out there at times. But then oh, when my sure. daughter started touring with me again, what a better way to get to know your kids in a oh, hardworking yeah. environment like that. And to be honest, my mom, my, um, you know, my mom would have been very proud that they were out on the road working as hard. And Absolutely. then, you know, when Fran would tell me, she goes, I feel like they're safe out there. And who would think that rock and roll tour was safe? She goes, <laughs> right. I know that they've got eyes on them from all the mm. 800, 900 people you have on the road. Oh, yeah. They're growing up out there. They're dancing in a parking lot until 11. We're, you, know, you wouldn't want your kids dancing in the middle of the street. We're having backyard. <laughs> we're having dance parties and they're having. But she knew they would be on a tour bus with me at bus call. Whatever That's that awesome. was. They, she didn't have to worry that they were out until two in the morning. Right. She knew where they were and who they were with. That's a big deal when you have teenagers. Exactly. And, you know, you're going to mess with Lyman's kids? No, they had a lot of, had a lot of aunts, <laughs> uncles, and cousins keeping an eye on them. Oh, right. They were in good hands, I'm sure. The worst was my, my, I think my older daughter, she was getting, you know, she was touring and she was starting to hit that 19, 20 years old. And we used to do the prom on Warp Tour where you got asked to the prom. We always do all these events what? backstage. And to see, I gave the kid a lot of credit that asked my daughter to the prom. Oh, that's cool. Because as soon as it got known that Sierra had a date to the prom, that person was subject to a lot of hate. Checked out by a lot of the some... older crew guys, making sure that there was only good intentions. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm sure he got. Uh, I'm sure he got grilled quite a bit, but uh, obviously, amazing experiences uh, for them to be able to come up through uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they learned hard work. I'm sure, I'm sure they did. Now, Kevin, you kind of mentioned it earlier and to a lot of the sublime fans, you know, you're, you're the guy that kicks sublime off the warp tour and you explained how that's not <laughs> necessarily how it works, but you had also mentioned earlier that you knew them prior to the warp tour and you did some, uh, some shows with them. When somebody mentions Bradley Knoll, when you see a picture of him, you hear a song, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Is there a specific story that, that sticks out from, from somebody that you knew and spent time with, not just a, a band that you employed? He was very kind. He was a pain soul, but a very <laughs> kind soul. Yeah. And when you can have those moments with him away from it, because I think there was also a bit of, the show. Yes, the, absolutely. You know, the, when you, you know, it's the same thing I see with other artists. I know when you get them away from on their own and I would have those moments with them, you realize just really the, the sensitivity to them that probably mm. allowed them to write the music they did. Right. The actual caring, but they didn't know how to put the show. As soon as any, anyone else would walk in the room, the show started. Right. And being able to separate yourself um, I, I just don't think, I think the show overwhelms a lot and, and so overwhelmed a lot of, of musicians and artists and people who are in the limelight. 
but man, there was moments you know, just, you know, that we would just have little talks, but I'll never forget talking about raising our children in the music scene together and how important our kids were to us. They were just born, but how important they were going to be part of our lives. And we, and I think ultimately, I, you know, I, and he, he knew that he, he knew that, you know, he was, his worlds were so apart. How was he going to blend them together? Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine, I imagine a lot of people struggle with that. Absolutely. I mean, I can't say I didn't have struggles in different ways. You know, I, you know, you start to feel like people fill your head full of shit in this business. Mm. They, They fill it up because they're there. And, you know, as my success, I guess, in a different way was growing, people filled my head with shit that it was like, okay to do certain things that I weren't part of me. Yeah. And when that's accepted behavior, you know, you know, you, you, you're lucky if you get out the other side. Right. And a lot of sure. people don't. And a lot of people don't. Yeah. Well, the wonderful thing is uh, that young son that you were talking about, Jacob, has grown up to be an amazing man. He is, mm-hmm. uh, we've had him as a guest here on the show. And I don't know if you've had a chance to check out his band, Law, um, but he's, uh, he's starting to make his own his own print on the, on the music industry and doing it the way that he wants. And it's, uh, it's really cool to see. Yeah. He's got a great voice and yeah. a lot of talent, a lot of talent. Absolutely. So all of those years of the warp tour, I, I guess this is kind of an insane question to ask, but I, I would be crazy not to, is there a, is there a particular year that is your favorite? Is there one that sticks out? If you were going to, show a, a, a lineup or, or uh, uh, footage from one year to get somebody hooked on the warp tour. Is there a particular year that really sticks out? Oh gosh. You know, I, I that, that was always a question people would ask. And I would say, I'd always, for, to a point, I was always able to say next year, next year is the one I'm looking for. <laughs> right. Uh, when I look back now, I look, you know, at, at that first year as being completely crazy and talking to people now, but some of those times when we started to get to tour overseas, um, and you know, I'm, you know, gonna, the time we camped across Australia where we slept in tents and little motor homes, no one had ever done that. And we played wow. all the little surf spots and we had, you know, blink and Pennywise and the vandals and, uh, 311 and all the Boston's and all these bands. And we were out there, like on a camping trip together across Australia. <laughs> that one was that tour or going to tour Europe. And I was always trying to do it different. So we would play places like the Pompalona bowl ring. Or we were oh. getting a tent within the big festivals and trying to prove that skateboarding and music were relevant when everyone was listening to Oasis and those blur bands and the mm. toe gazers. And here we are, this ska punk tour and kids gravitated to what we were doing, um, riding across, you know, France and sitting and looking out over the countryside, you know, for a kid that never had been out of the country. When I started Warp Tour, I didn't even have a passport and being able to do it with all your friends. So those were pretty special times. Yeah, that's amazing, the the things that you've gotten to do. And I, I often say, it's funny, you said, you know, we weren't backing trucks of money up after after each show, especially not at the, the prices that you guys charge, because it was always an affordable ticket, no matter where it was or what city it was in. Um, and you said, you know, you still have to work to this day, but there comes a time where money isn't it's not a thing anymore. And the only real currency you have are the, the memories and experiences that you've lived. And uh, you will be a very, very wealthy man through your, through your years. I can assure you that. I have a lot of fun now, you know, finally got to go on my 
my, my own vacation with my wife after 29 years this past summer. You know, there was three, three Lollapaloozas, 25 warp, one COVID summer, and we got to load up a sprinter van and just drive around for three weeks around the country. And we both got home and we were ready to turn around and go if we could right away again. That's awesome. So for somebody who's been so many bands, so much music, I mean, over 25 years, you've just been exposed to a ridiculous amount of awesome live music. But you said you and your wife were in the van, you're driving around the country. What's Kevin Lyman listening to these days? Oh, it's crazy. There's so much music on, uh, there's so much uh, music on, you go down a rabbit hole now. Um, you know, I, I love to always, oh, I have different playlists I put together and I'm like, oh, road trip one, road trip country, road trip blues. <laughs> and then, you know, today I started a list. There was this artist named Lolo, a, a young a female artist that I heard is opening for a lesson, Jake and newfound glory. And I heard a song and I liked it, but then you just go down the rabbit hole because you'd see her and then you go artists that like her like this and right. listening to them. And it's like three in the morning and I'm like down 27 different artists that I've never heard of. I mean, there's a lot of great talent. And what's really cool to me is there's so much really great up and coming female talent. Absolutely. That's so cool. But yeah, we just a little bit of everything. Like I'll be like, okay, we're going to go like through the punk rock 30 minutes. And then all of a sudden you go to Alicia Keys and then, Oh wait, we're going like, Oh, through the desert. Oh, let's pretend like we're at Coachella for 30 minutes. (laughs) Not a lot of EDM though. Unfortunately, I kind of, now I kind of just want to go on a road trip with you just for the soundtrack. <laughs> I promise I'll sit in the back just as quiet as a church mouse. I'm just, I'm interested in these, these changes. That's pretty awesome. I, I'm sensing a, a satellite radio channel here, like Kevin's, Kevin's road trip playlists or something. I'm learning how to enjoy music again for the sake mm. of enjoying music versus listening to music to book music. Right. It got to the point where I was just listening to book versus enjoying when you're trying to put together different tours, there was Warp, there was Bayhem, there was Taste of Chaos and a country tour. So sometimes I was putting two or three tours together. All I was listening to was, would this fit into something I'm going to produce live? Right. Does this transfer live? Versus now, I can listen to anything I want. And I always How had a freeing. eclectic listening. And I think that eclectic listening taste came from working 320 nights a year in the clubs of Los Angeles. I was yeah. working all kinds of music. So now it's just a chance to get to listen to all, all different kinds again. But then I can never find it sometimes. If I don't put it on a playlist, I'll never find it <laughs> again. Do you have any favorite L.A. venues? Oh, gosh. I loved working at the Hollywood Palladium. Mm. Uh, there was a lot of venues that don't exist anymore, but we used to do the Variety Arts Center. I always loved to work down there. The Olympic Auditorium was always a wild place to work. Um, yeah, you know, I was always some of those type of venues. Um, it's interesting going back to places like the whiskey and Roxy and yeah. not sitting there in a big blue smoke cloud because we, <laughs> and, you know, smoking was allowed and you can actually breathe right. in those clubs. So it can be <laughs> enjoyable to go see a show in there. Uh, but I, I do tell people and, and since you, you know, wear earplugs. Um, I have a horrible case of tinnitus. Um, I tell oh. all my students, Wear earplugs because the live tour music experience for me um, has to be short burst now because this oh, ringing wow. in the ears that just does not go away um, that plays on you not only yeah. you know it plays on you mentally especially late at night when you're laying there and and uh-huh. only hears your ears ringing 
or someone says, oh, the ocean, hear the ocean. I'm like, nope, I can't hear the ocean. I hear this ringing. Um, so I do tell everyone, wear earplugs. It's worth it. You can get great earplugs that don't, you know, that, that dim the sound, but don't block it. But right. take care of your ears because that's the only thing that after all these years, after a four, almost 40 years in the music industry and around shows, I'm bummed because it, uh, going to live shows for me, I, I am missing out a little bit now because of that ringing. Yeah. Wow, that's, if you that's want, good advice. If you want, we can run this back and edit it. And you can say that you were wearing those 3M earplugs that there's that huge class action lawsuit against now oh, and, yeah. and maybe get you in on the action there. But, um, <laughs> get my $3.20. I just, right. It's fun. I just, I just saw the, I just saw the post again. Uh, I just saw the advertisement again today for the, the class action lawsuit for those little orange earplugs that they were selling that they, everyone claims don't work now. So yeah, if, if you play your cards right, you could have a $3.20 check coming your <laughs> way. Well, they obviously didn't work because I had them in my pocket. I don't think <laughs> they don't work there. Do they? It was hard to run shows with earplugs in when you were the one person having to try to talk and move around. So I don't know if I'd, I'd win any money with, because they were in my pocket most of the time. <laughs> well, when I introduced you, I referred to you as a podcaster, professor, and producer. Tell us about your podcast. Yeah, I think the podcast was spun out of my wife needing to get me back out of the house during the <laughs> pandemic. Um, I, have, I work out of my back garage. I teach two days a week, but I think I was driving her crazy, absolutely. And she's like, look, if you're not going to sit there and finish that book that you've outlined a few times... Go out there and start a podcast. It can't be that hard. Just go do a podcast. (laughs) Great. So now I work on this podcast all the time. It's called My Warped Life. And a lot of people think it's just about the Warped Tour, but it's more about my Warped Life or your Warped Life. I met so many people that live a Warped Life and somehow have figured out how to navigate society outside the norms. Mm -hmm. They may not be real famous. They may be just people I've come across. And then you do have people like Steve Van Doren from Vans or Bob yeah. Hurley, who started the Hurley Clothing, but crossed paths mm-hmm. with me through Billabong and supporting the Warp Tour. So it's called My Warp Life. Uh, we have a lot of fun with it. I have a partner, a guy who I met and now play golf with during the pandemic. That's the one thing, one of the few things you could do. Right. Who had not heard all these stories. So all of this is new to him. So he laughs at everything, which is right. <laughs> you want one of those people that laughs at all this. He doesn't really understand it. So we do My Warp Life, and uh, we're having a, a fun time. Uh, it's, you, know, you can find it everywhere. I just did a great episode that I really enjoyed on, on Gary Tovar, uh, the founder of Golden Voice. People really don't mm-hmm. know where that company came from, and, and it's a great interview with Gary. And that's the most recent episode, right? That was the most recent episode, uh, My Warp Life. So we're having to like, you know, everyone's got to have a podcast now, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> yeah, and, and they're so easy to do. As, as we all know how hard we work on them, but it right. is good as we're documenting some of these stories because, you know, stories change over time and, mm-hmm. you know, we are not getting any younger. Right. I think it's a great way to preserve that oral history, you know, of, of these kinds of things. And I, I'm really glad that you're doing it and hopefully okay. our listeners will, will check that out. Cause I, that's a great idea. And, you know, my students, I tell them, if you want to hear some of the stories I can't say in class, you can go to the podcast. <laughs> It's a there good advertisement, go. yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, like, Kelly was super excited to do this podcast, and she just she sent me emails and hawked me for months, so finally I agreed to... <laughs> no, um, he's no, lying. It was, 
it was actually it was exa- it was actually the exact opposite of that. Um, but we've uh, we've been having a, a real good time doing it as well. And uh, like Kelly said, hopefully our listeners will check out your podcast. We'll include a link to your podcast in the description of the show. So you guys that are listening right now, just go ahead and click the little button on the description, and it'll take you right to Kevin's podcast, and you can hear more of the stories of his warped life, or maybe the warped life of his guests. But uh, either way, it's uh, it's a real fun list. And so, Kevin, I uh, I thought I was excited about having you on the podcast, and then after getting to chat with you and and hear some of your stories and some of the things that you've done and why you've done them, uh, I'm super excited now and <laughs> grateful for this for this opportunity. And I think our listeners are really going to enjoy it as well. So, um, thank you for coming on and and telling some stories and helping us uh, entertain the listeners and the uh, the supporters of the Knoll Family Foundation. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. And, and best of success with Bradley's house. Thank you. It's, it's been a real treat for us to have you. You are such an icon in the music industry. And I can't thank you enough for taking the time with us tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Whew. Well, Kelly, I, I don't know if a lot of people know the name Kevin Lyman, but certainly almost everybody knows the name Warp Tour. So to be able to talk to the man who started that and, and birthed that whole thing, that's a really cool experience for me because, um, you know, especially in my age group, uh, the Warp Tour was a big, big deal. So really cool to kind of hear how it all started. And I'm, this guy's a fucking college teacher now. He's amazing. He's done so many things. Uh, and it's easy to see why he's been successful at all of them. He's just, he's an all around great guy, has such a great perspective on things. I seriously, it could have talked to him for hours. That was, that was really fun. Yeah. I, uh, I really appreciate him coming on and sharing some of his stories and you know that he's another guy that like, we barely scratched the surface. There, yes. There's room, there's room for episode two for Mr. Lyman, 100%. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's the kind of guy that I got a lot of time for. So uh, look, forward to, look forward to down the road, hearing a little bit more from him. Now for all of our early birds, and I know a lot of you guys, I see the comments popping up quick. I know a lot of you listen to this show as soon as it drops and uh, Anna makes sure that it gets on there and it hits your phone, whether it's your iTunes, your Amazon, or even your YouTube. It pops up right at like six o'clock in the morning to let you know the show's ready. So if you are listening to this show on the day that it dropped on the 29th, you guys still have time to get in on the auction. Kelly, you and the foundation work so hard. There are so many amazing uh, items up for bid. Um, and I know that you guys are probably a little overwhelmed with, with how fast this has all been happening. But you guys have time. You can hop on there right now and you can get your bids in until what time, Kelly? Until 6 p.m. Pacific time today, September 29th. And I am so excited. This auction has been amazing. The response has been incredible and overwhelming. And I'm so excited to see how everything finishes up tonight at 6 o'clock Pacific time. Um, And thank you to everyone who's been and everyone who's been a part of it and everyone who's shared the post and spread the word. Um, This has been a really, really great event. And I'm looking forward to having another one. Yeah, absolutely. And guys, if you're listening to this and for whatever reason you've missed the last few episodes or the auction has evaded you somehow, um, (laughs) you guys still have a few hours to sneak in there. So there's people that have been bidding on stuff all week 
making sure that they stayed on it. You can sneak in there right at the end and just take it all home right now. So <laughs> go ahead and hop in there and, uh, and check out some of those, some of those neat uh, donations. And again, thank you to everybody that was included. Now, for those of you uh, who maybe missed the auction or weren't able to participate, of course, you can always get awesome stuff right at the NoelFamilyFoundation.org. Just go ahead and hit that merch section, pick yourself out a t-shirt, maybe buy seven or eight for people for Christmas, whatever you got to <laughs> do, just know that it all goes directly to the Noel Family Foundation and being able to get Bradley's house up and open and start to help these musicians. So uh, again, guys, NoelFamilyFoundation.org. And of course, follow the Noel Family Foundation on all platforms of social media. Uh, there's constantly awesome stuff going on. Shout out to Jen, who's just busting her ass mm. to get these posts out and keep she's everything amazing. updated. Um, yeah, I know she's kind of your, your right hand on the social media end, and she just uh, she does amazing work in the Bradley's House group and all over. So uh, thanks, wonderful. Jen. We love you. And, love you, Jen. Uh, and she's doing an amazing job. So make sure you guys are checking all of that out. And of course, anybody who wants to hear more stories from Kevin should definitely check out his podcast, my Warped Life. It's available on almost all the streaming platforms. Definitely check that out. So we're so grateful to Kevin for taking the time and, and talking with us. We're also super grateful for our wonderful sponsor, Savage CBD. So awesome that they have, have stepped up and they're helping us by being a sponsor of the show, which again, just like all the things that everybody does, buying the, the merchandise and participating in the auction, all these things will take us one step closer to getting Bradley's house built. So big thanks to Savage CBD. Make sure you check out their products. Kelly, each week we leave uh, all of our guests, I say we leave with a smile, right? Because a music, so. a song's always going to make you smile. You hear a great interview and then we just kind of blast you out with an awesome song. Uh, and we're going to leave you with a smile today, but I decided to go ahead with something a little bit different than just playing a typical song. And a lot of that obviously is because we had Kevin on and we talked about the Warp Tour. So uh, hopped over to our friend Eddie Villa, his YouTube page. If you're a Sublime fan, you've seen one of Eddie's videos he does amazing work and puts a lot of time into them so we're going to go ahead and share an interview of sublime it's brad bud and eric on the warp tour from mtv news this was on august 11th 1995 hope you guys enjoy this interview thank you so much for joining us once again i'm jared Orr. she's kelly noel we're out of time that means you don't have to go home but it's time to leave bradley's house hello Smug their brains out. You might not be too bad with them because there's a man, so. We got kids now. <laughs> Where's everybody going? I think there's a small pit beer store. Yeah, <laughs> shit. 7 Eleven. <laughs> do, like do they have a medical tent here at all? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Probably need it. Heat exhaustion. All right, we're ready to go. All the rocks. Okay, so why did you guys decide to come on this tour? Because we thought it was the best thing for us to do this summer. Pretty much the coolest thing to do. Yeah, we're out here with all the skaters, we're at BMXers. Yeah, we're hanging out with Remy and Salba. Just cracking humongous airs every day. It's so killer. There's a voice from our hometown, so we just. This is a big party for us every day. This is like summer camp. <laughs> yeah, you're from the other country, like the California band. Yeah, we're, we're band, we so. came out here with uh, Bluff and, and no use for a name. You guys skate or biker? We skate. Yeah. We do. Not last night at all. I heard uh, Orange on Millimeter went out last night. 
But they go out they went out in a big way. They went out already. They, went they were up to yeah, they were up to about six in the morning somehow. Skating. <laughs> they were partying. But well, what is it like about this tour that they get a broad spectrum of bands, and they get to see a lot of the uh, the board sports going on, and, and it's just like all the, the big underground scene. I mean, it, it, anytime you you get like the BMXers and the, you know, the skaters and stuff, it's like all about that that underground scene. The guy put it on, Kevin Lyman. He he did the first three Lollapaloozas, and he said that uh, this one's most reminiscent of the first Lollapalooza because the bands are semi unknown, and the and the uh, the bands and the crew are all traveling together. Whereas the subsequent Lollapalooza tours, they had uh, everybody said, uh, you know, the, the venue was like this. They said, well, you go to the next venue and we'll see you there. And everybody had to get their own transportation. But now we're in a big caravan with buses. You get there, we all eat our cereal in the morning together and get up, you know. Yeah, a lot of camaraderie. We had a, a bus that broke down, so we had to split up, you know, a bunch of people and overpack our buses and stuff. And it was, it was really neat because every day it's like, like you're almost forced to meet people and stuff. And it's, it's really, it's really neat. Oh, so nobody gets like, like uh, the, the complex. Okay. Hardcore music, something that goes with skating. Like, what is it about? Well, yeah, it's it's an aggressive sport. Yeah. Aggressive attitudes. Needed. Slamming down on the masonite. <laughs> you ever see Salvo when, when he slams? He goes. <laughs> uh, sometimes, sometimes. I go and kick back up on the thing with them and just check it out. Up on the, uh, I don't drop in with it, but they're doing it. But I guess I'm going to have a big lesson from uh, from Remy Stratton. Yeah, yeah. I got a lesson from John. He came up and gave me his bike, and I went up and I went down quicker than I went up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, well, it's, uh, nothing, never know. Not much. I'd do it again. You're kidding. What for? What's up there? They put a beer up there, I will. Um, <laughs> Why do you guys tell me about the videos playing on MTV now? Well, it's produced by a man named Ron Jeremy. Very, very fine actor, right? He's a bum. Yeah, he's pretty much a bum out. He's a bum out. We don't like to hang out with him too much anymore. But anyways, he produced it, and I think he did a fabulous job. For I mean, for two thousand bucks, you can't make a better video. Are people gonna misunderstand it? Oh, yeah, yeah, it was pretty much just a joke. Yeah, whatever. Everyone was on us for for like like promoting the day thing, so we figured, all right, here you go, here's some promotion. I had to, if I could write more songs like that to make people at least get off their butt and, and, and think about yeah, something, yeah, you yeah, I'd, I'd do more. But uh, it was, certainly wasn't one of those songs where you reach down into your soul and try to uh, make a statement. <laughs> Sorry. No. <laughs> you, you, every, you have to make a statement with each song. Um, and what are you guys doing after this? After the studio, I think. We do. We do have a record by uh, by Christmas again. Again, I don't. I don't know. If we're gonna be good boys and get right back on it. We're probably gonna be back on the road. No, 
our bosses, you know, our management. We'll be back out on the road. That's where we like to be, though. We see, see out of trouble out here. Yeah, we're, we're occupied. When we go home, it's like we find other things to do because usually we don't get to get our jam because we don't jam all the time. So, like, we all spread apart and do our own things. Paint another festival kind of thing again, or is this? Oh, absolutely. This is definitely one of the ways to go. I mean, this is the first time we've ever been on a real live tour bus. <laughs> we've always been in our little van with the, the dogs and everything else crammed on there. Now we got the bus, we got the videos. It's cool. Yeah, I'd like to do more of this stuff. Absolutely. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you. Anything else you want to say? I'm just going to be plain old Albert when we get back. <laughs> <laughs>